It's a beautiful thing if more of us were able or be in that position where we did the things that really brought us lots of joy, that really brought us meaning and purpose, and we felt like we were living in our purpose. That to me would help really shift the energy of this world if the more of us did that. And whatever that means for you. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? My name is Francis. I'm originally from Haiti, grew up in the Boston area, I'm currently in Boston. And the name of my business is too. It's Define Resistance and Chronicles Abroad. So at what age did you come to America from Haiti? I was about five and a half. And you were traveling like with your family at that time? Like they didn't mm. just send you? No, they did. <laughs> There's a funny story behind that. Um, but I basically traveled with a family friend, came here by myself. So what was that like? Um, you you grew up in the Boston area. Uh-huh. It was, it was tough. Um, Boston is known to be a very racist uh, city, and I experienced a lot of racism growing up, especially being an immigrant and, of course, being a Black woman. So then, like, how did that impact your family relationships? Well, with immigrants tend to be very close-knit, so there was always this, uh, I don't think it, impacted it externally, but internally there was always this dialogue about how to be around white folks. So that was an ongoing conversation. Uh, so in essence, um, not rocking the boat, staying out of trouble. Um, you know, there was always this fear of having white people get into your business. That was the, the feeling growing up. Is that something like, so you've had a podcast for the past three years. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I'm sure in your work as a social worker, you're a social worker for six, like almost seven yep. years. That, that idea of don't tell people your business, like you must have lived it and then seen how it's lived. Yeah. As well, like with your clients and such. What has your experience been like? with that, with that idea? I think it, it helped actually, because I could relate to that, you know, uh, parts of my job as a social worker, I held a lot of hats, but part of my job was to be a bit intrusive and to go in people's homes and have really, really tough conversations with them. And I think because of that experience, it made me very sensitive to that um, in a way that um, allowed people to, to disarm a little bit. Do you find it hard to open up yourself though? Yeah, only because of the way that I was trained, um, you know, the traditional ways of being trained as a therapist um, has you thinking like you're some kind of like 
an emotional zombie in a sense, because you have to really um, have strict boundaries. You have to be a certain way. Uh, so I think that um, identity carried me for a while and I had to break away from that in order to do the work that I'm doing currently. Um, so there was always this distance or this like, I'm this professional and, and you're this family. Uh, so sometimes I got into the way of the work that I wanted to do with my clients. And how does it like impact you to this day? So like, are you able to voice yourself more easily? Like have you've been able to practice? Is it something that you want to practice? Like being more open? Cause you know, like in this, in this day and age, it seems like that vulnerability that telling of your story over and over again in many different ways is encouraged, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think it's definitely necessary. So for me, that's one of the reasons I had to take a break from the industry because I had to uh, go back and figure out like, how did this, what did this mean to me to be in this work? And how was I going to impact my clients deeper? So I had to let go of um, traditional ways of doing things and I'm someone who likes to call outside the lines anyway and be a little bit rebellious and question things. And I feel that to connect deeply with your clients, there needs to be a level of authenticity there. There needs to be a level of relatability. And I believe that sharing your story um, really either impacts people in certain ways or inspires people and lets them know that you're human. And like, how often do you go to Haiti? I haven't been back since I left, actually. Literally. Yeah. So do you, yeah. your family is still there? I have some family members that are still there, some that I haven't met. Um, yeah, uh, but most of my family uh, is here. Immediate family, that is. And that's like a choice that you made to not go. Since, yeah, I guess because... I can, right? You know, I'm, I've traveled to all these countries. Um, I would say now it is a choice that I haven't been back. Why? It's so complicated and so layered. Um, you know, growing up in my family, there was always this idea of, and it's it's weird because they'd be like, you know, don't trust other Haitians. Or I'd hear like all these horror stories about um, my country in a sense of, um, all the family drama that happened growing up. And it just, I think, subconsciously turned me off to going. And I was actually supposed to go with my father, um, but then he died unexpectedly. And I just, I haven't, I haven't gone. You talk about your father very lovingly, just saying he was like the life of the party and mm -hmm. like how he always made space for other people. Yeah. What is was, something special that he gave you? I think he gave me the, um, without, because I didn't grow up with my father, but I think what he gave to me was empathy. He was the kind of person that would always open his doors to people. I think mean, that was my, the, my family anyway. We tend to do that, taking people in, caring for them, giving them a place to stay, all that thing. So that's something that I carried on to this day. Um, and I think that it has been etched into my professional identity as well. That's really interesting how, how these cultural things can impact us so deeply without us having firsthand experience. Yeah, 
it's pretty but powerful. It yeah, because mm-hmm. it can feel like it has happened to us because we're living it, right? Exactly. We're behaving like the people who were inflicted, mm-hmm. even though we weren't inflicted. Exactly. Did Do you think that your family situation lent to your interest in psychology? It did. Uh, you know, I always say that a lot of therapists and healers who get into this work are usually on the pursuit of healing themselves or have had some form of trauma or something that got them into this field. Um, and um, me getting into psychology, I remember very clear, like in high school, watching this movie about, it's what was called Sybil. And it was about a woman who had multiple personality disorders. And at first it was just fascinating to understand the idea of how the human brain works in relation to human behavior and relationships. So it was really just a keen interest. Um, but I think that as I moved about through the world, it became a thing about like social justice and wanting to be a part of, uh, want to be part of the solution, part of the change. Do you think that you've been able, like, do you feel fulfilled that you've been able to make the impact that you set out to make? I can't say that I'm fulfilled because I feel like I'm just starting. I feel that uh, for a number of years being a social worker, I was fighting the system, uh, fighting it for my clients in different ways. Uh, And so I don't feel, and I don't know if there's always going to be this fulfillment that I've reached. Um, But I think now that I've come back with a clear head and a clear purpose, and I've created the way that I want to do this work, the way that I want to see it happen, that feels fulfilling. But in terms of impact, I feel like I still have a long way to go. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like we can never control that part. Yeah, it's never done. You know, this is a never ending work. Exactly. Um, But in that never endingness, it not feeling hopeless, but being somewhat like satiated, knowing that Mm -hmm. when you wake up or the things that you have to do that day are all towards building this thing that you want to build. Like, uh-huh. That's the part that I think keeps people going. You know, the gratifying part, knowing that brick by brick is coming together. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think what keeps me going, and I remember when I first got into this uh, industry, it was like, young and naive and I just want to change the world and yada yada and the world just put me flat on my face (laughs) Um, and now it's really just about one person one conversation at a time and uh, there are often where people like will send me dms and be like wow you know that made me think differently and that's for me the goal is how can what I'm saying help you to see new possibilities and think differently about yourself and your life so with the experiences that you've been able to have between your work experience and your travel experience, has that at all impacted how you relate to your family? Like, do you feel like, cause you have a whole like adult son, like out of college, everything, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> he's like, <Yeah. laughs> like grown man, full, full, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all. Do you think that's impacted um, your family and this next generation that you've birthed? Uh, well, in terms of my family, I've always been the person who does things differently. I can't 
say I'm a completely black sheep, uh, but uh, so often they don't understand or know what it is that I'm doing. Um, uh, so there is a bit of disconnect there, but I'm okay with that. Um, in terms of impacting the next generation, uh, I believe that, you know, I've really stepped into my purpose now. And I believe that as long as I live from that place, because I think a lot of people will try to, you know, persuade or convince or, but I think when you live from that place, it turns to, people tend to, um, it almost, I don't want to call it like an, I'm trying to find a word. It's not an infection, but it permeates, you know, often you don't have to say or try to convince people, but if you live the life that you live and you live it truthfully, then those will understand and they'll be impacted by it. So what has your relationship with your son been like? Like, is he your family? Where are you getting that sense of, that sense of family? Where are you getting that from? That's a great question. Um, my family for me is, he is, yeah, my son, but that's my sister, it's my siblings, it's my cousins that I grew up with, um, it's my aunts, you know, uh, even though there is like maybe generational gaps and generational misunderstandings, but those are the people that I call my family. Is there something that you want your son to know for sure, for sure? Like maybe you've had conversations with him before about this or that, or you've expressed yourself to him. But if he were listening to this right now, is there something that you want him to know? Always to live in your truth. I think the hangups that we have is because we're not living in our truths. We're not being honest with ourselves, with the things that we want, the things that we want and like and want to see happen for ourselves. You know, I remember when we were going through the whole college thing and me wanting him to go into this like traditional experience because, you know, I went through the whole academia process and realizing that just wasn't for him and uh, having to go through that acceptance phase for myself that, you know, he wants to do other things. And I think the best thing that you could do for your, um, for your child is two things. First, let them be and do what they want and allow them to discover themselves. Uh, but one quote that really, was very powerful for me. And I, I'm not going to be able to say verbatim, but essentially it said that um, the most painful thing that a child can see is the life of an unlived parent. So for parents that I come across, I say to them, you know, you really have to live your life and live it in the truest form because that's what's going to inspire your kids. So I want to talk a little bit, like go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Way back? Not too far back, really, because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all relative. So you got your bachelor's in psychology and you uh -huh. went to school and got your master's in social work. But like uh -huh. you have been kind of everywhere, really, uh, with your career. I have. Um, uh -huh. You were a credit advisor for businesses, trying to help them to get their credit score up. You did real uh -huh. estate, uh, a realtor uh -huh. for a couple of years, not consecutive, ESL teacher, middle school counselor. You did your research, Wanda. I love it. <laughs> and of course, you know, I think the longest stint, though, was that your your social work, your clinical social work for that six, seven years. Um, uh -huh. And then 2019 came. 
<laughs> well, 2017 came Chronicles Abroad, you and Nubia. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then 2019, Defying Resistance. What does that mean? Defying Resistance came about after I read the book, um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's an amazing book. If you're a creative and artist, it's a mandatory read. And even if you're not, I still think it's a mandatory read. And it really just talked about like how, you know, procrastination and everything, all this resistance that we feel to do the things that really matter to us and how that resistance gets in the way of us living a very fulfilled life. And so I was like, you know, in what ways can I create a platform or a blog that allows or inspires people to defy the resistance that's in their lives? That resistance you feel, whether it's fear, and resistance is categorized into multiple things. It's fear, it's self-doubt, it's, you know, self-esteem stuff. So essentially, that's what that blog is about, is to really inspire people and also give them tips and resources and ways that they can defy the resistance that they're feeling in their lives. So it seems the crux of your work is about healing the conflict within oneself. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Is that fair to say? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what, how does that conflict manifest itself? Oh man, it manifests itself in so many different ways. Um, Usually it's old stuff, right? It's usually unresolved conflicts from our childhood or unresolved conflicts from adulthood that really gets in the way Uh, often when my clients come to me, they're like, well, I thought I healed this, or I thought that I was done with this and it keeps coming back. And it's because that lesson hasn't been learned. So to me, that's how that healing the conflict within. And when you don't heal the conflict within, those lessons will be repeated. You'll see them over and over again in different forms. And so until that happens, then um, you're just going to continue to be on this loop. So people should start to look for the patterns The patterns um, could be, it's finding the one, a few of, I can't say it's one thing because it's usually multiple things. So, but we all have our thing, right? We, whether it's like, uh, for example, one of my things back in the day before I healed a lot of it was like running away from different conversations, right? Just kind of like if you, if you know your attachment style when it comes to relationships and for some people, they, they're avoidant attachment, which just basically means that they avoid having these really tough conversations they prefer to just run and just run from relationships and run from situations and so when you see those kinds of patterns in your life it's time to like sit down and ask yourself okay what is really going on here because every time this happens i do this and every time i'm presented with this i react this way so what is going on there and it's all about like doing a self-inventory of your relationships, of your life, and, and how you react to it, and how you're moving about this world. Like, is what you're doing providing you with fruitful relationships? Is what you're doing um, really leaving you content and, and joyful? And if it's not, there's a reason for it. And if you can look back, if you're ready to really be honest, because the hardest part, I think, for people is that honesty with themselves, uh, because part of that is is holding yourself responsible and accountable for what your contribution was to the situation. But once you're able to do that, you can look at see the patterns pretty clearly. So it's wanting to bring oneself to the table, but having to recognize there's a table to bring oneself to in the first place. Exactly. 
do you think that that part is just as hard as the rest? Like, oh, it's the hardest part, mm -hmm. right? It is the hardest part um, because often a lot of us aren't conscious of it. And, and there's levels to this consciousness. And if you're not conscious to it, you can't really make those changes. But I do believe that the universe sends us signs and opportunities to practice and heal those things. Uh, and often we're just not ready for it. Uh, but there comes a time where you get sometimes sick of yourself, sick of your stuff, you know, and <laughs> you're just like, man, okay, I'm so tired of living this way. Uh, I'm tired of not being in, in, in relationships. So I'm tired of, you know, my uh, professional career not being where it's at. You get tired. And that's when you know you're ready for the change. So defying resistance is essentially like seven years in the making. I mean, like, of course, before that, but it seems like 2013 was a really pivotal year for you. So like I scrolled back on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. <laughs> By the way, uh, do you remember your second and third pictures? Like the second and third pictures you posted on your account ever? I do actually. It, it was what is it? It was the, none of it had any meaning at the time, right? It was just me sitting on the I took a picture, I was on a bus ride. I can't remember where I was going. I was probably going to like New York or something and no you wasn't which way wait what, what? <laughs> you was doing like it was oh. kind of a rap squat. oh yeah yeah my album cover my friend calls it the album cover <laughs> <laughs> i kept that up i couldn't delete it i was like you know this is yeah, I, couldn't tell. <laughs> I couldn't tell if you had archived anything or not because you got like mad posts right yeah, yeah no i haven't i deleted a few but i kept most of them up but um, so I scrolled back in 2013, you was just like, it seemed like you were reprogramming yourself hard, 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 uh -huh. not just your mind, but your body as well. So you used to be heavier, you uh -huh. used to be thick and luscious, and now you done, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, gotten in the gym, she done slammed down. You're so silly. <laughs> you taking them sweaty selfies. <laughs> so like for for like a couple of years, you see what it looks like you laying the groundwork and it's just quotes, quotes, uh -huh. quotes, quotes, uh -huh. you know, building yourself, uh -huh. keeping yourself, aiming for higher, not believing the world that you've existed in before, um, dreaming and taking action, taking action, taking action, especially when it comes to like body transformations. I think people see how powerful it is to have an action and, and that action have a result because a lot of times like especially in business you take an action and like you just don't see it right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> like, where's the that right um so it's really and then you have some family stuff in there mm -hmm. uh you know you have your son and there are some women i have no idea who they are <laughs> <laughs> um but I, it seems like they're family but that's all it is, 2013, 2014. Uh, in 2014, you did like read a book a month challenge. Mm -hmm. it, it just seemed, seemed like heavy, 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 full force. All hands on deck. Yes. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Oh, man, I, I woke up. I woke up. That was my, uh, my spiritual awakening, my rise to consciousness. It's when you kind of like snap out of it and you're like, whoa. And you start questioning everything. That's what was going on with me at that time. 
um, I started getting really heavy in the personal development field and I think real estate for that. And a uh, person I was dating at the time too, who's really into like law of attraction, all that stuff. But real estate really um, being around those, those high producers and being around how they had routines and how they really focused on their personal development and emotional development that also uh, catapulted me as well. Being around those people on a regular basis, it was inspiring and then just led me down and all around, all over. You have this quote, um, and this was June of 2014 that you put up. You said, I used to think about, wow, how do people become so successful? How do they have it so good? They are lucky and me, not so lucky. I realized how far from the truth that is. The difference between them and me is they aren't afraid. They are persistent and they do what it takes day in and day out. We see the benefits, but more often than not, we don't see the hard work. We are so obsessed by other people's success that we forget about our own. We watch them live their dreams on TV screens, billboards. We go to their concerts. We even read their books. Success happens because people aren't afraid of risks, period. I wrote that. It doesn't have an author, so <laughs> I'm assuming you're the author. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Uh, well, just letting you know, uh, your message from six years ago tracks well. <laughs> Still feels relevant. Yeah. Yeah. People are obsessed with fame. Uh-huh. You know, there's the whole, you know, you'll retweet or cop Beyonce's album, but like you won't retweet my personal development workshop or like whatever it is. Uh-huh. There's There's this huge... Well, it's not really a conversation. It's really more complaining Mm -hmm. (laughs) about Mm -hmm. how all of our friends and family, because apparently we all have the same friends and family (laughs) who don't support us. Like they don't share our stuff. They don't hype us up. They don't engage with whatever it is our dreams are about. Um, And it's really interesting that you speak to that there. Yeah. And what I also think, and and I learned from that, what you just said, you know, your friends and family, they're not your target audience. And so, yes, there needs to be a level of support. Hopefully they have it, but they'll be able to give it to you. But if they're not on the same, I don't want to say playing field, but if they're if they're rooted in their own dogma, you know what I mean? They're just not able to provide that. I think we have a lot of expectations um, of other people who in whatever place they currently are, they're not able to give that to us. That's deep though, because first of all, you don't have to be my target. If you spread the message, because what we're doing is we are writing for machines. We are writing for software. Mm -hmm. We are trying to get our stuff seen. Mm -hmm. So it's about visibility. It's not about that this person specifically is gonna resonate and they need to spend Mm -hmm. dollars. It takes two seconds, literally. So I hear what you're saying. It's twofold. And that and that they're stuck in their own dogma. And that is that means that the problem is deeper than you just not hitting a retweet, mm-hmm. you not sharing it to your stories, you know, you not trying to help put the word yeah. out there. It's just because you must feel some type of yeah. way that I'm stepping up and you're not. That is possible. Hmm. 
something to think about. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. Because it's like, well, why? Yeah. Why is it the way it is? I'm very interested in that. Like, why wouldn't you? Why do you continue to scroll? Why don't you share? I love that you said, now I, I'm for sure you said this one. <laughs> uh, you, that the crux of your work, the healing, the conflict of oneself is in order for you to create and do the work that matters. You said a world where everyone does the work they love is life changing work with a deep sense of purpose and meaning. Talk more about that. Yeah. Um, I believe that the more that we do the work that we enjoy, because I believe we're, it's all energy, right? We're, we're made of from energy. So can you imagine a world where people are doing the things that they like to do? How does that uh, translate to the external world? It's a beautiful thing if more of us were able or be in that position where we did the things that really brought us lots of joy, that really brought us meaning and purpose, and we felt like we were living in our purpose. That, to me, would help really shift the energy of this world if the more of us did that. And whatever that means for you, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean owning your own business, but it's really doing work that you're proud of makes you feel good and I believe the more that we feel good about the things that we do um, the better the world can be a little bit of at a time I wanted to ask you as well about your relationship with travel so you said at the age of five Haiti mm-hmm. to America what else happened in your travel life yeah um, you know I did the whole like traveling up and down the east coast south beach Miami Florida you know all that stuff, uh, but I never traveled overseas and I never traveled that far overseas. Uh, but it's something that I always wanted to travel. I always thought about it, dreamed about it, saw pictures. Uh, but for some reason, it just never clicked that I could do the same thing. Never did. And I think part of that is because if you don't have, um, if you don't know anyone who's doing it, if you're not exposed to it, it just seems like something that's just out of your reach. And that changed in in 2016 um, for a number of reasons. And 2016 for me was like, you know, my son was going off to college. I was becoming an empty nester. My father passed away and I had started thinking about my own mortality. And I don't think I could have, my biggest fear always has been regretting stuff. What if I didn't go this time? Because there was a lot of things that were going on at that time that I could have just stayed back home, you know, in the comfort of my family, grieving and all this other stuff. But something told me this was it. I just had to go, even though might not have been the best time. It never is. Nothing's ever the best time, but it actually is the time to do whatever it is that you're wanting to do. Um, And that's how it all started. So is this the sabbatical that you took? It was 17 countries that you went to. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, go ahead. No, I was like, I call it my informal sabbatical. (laughs) But yeah, because it wasn't, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. In fact, 
you know, I, I say that in 2013, had I known that sabbatical was an option, maybe that's all I needed was just like a little break uh, just to kind of get my bearings together. So that terminology wasn't really in my vocabulary for me. Like a sabbatical was something that professors took to go do study and research and write their next book or something. So it just wasn't part of my language at the time, but I knew I, I needed a break. So when did the three years living abroad happen where you went to Japan and ended, or not went to, but lived in Japan? 2016 to 2019. Spent three years overseas. Two years consistently not going home. You talk about, you were just saying how sometimes things aren't accessible because you've never seen anybody like you doing them. Like you don't know that it exists. Uh Um, You had made a post Uh about like hiking. So while you were abroad, that was something that hadn't been accessible to you, but was now. Yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, and I think about where I grew up and I recently last summer went on this hike. um, That's about like 30 minutes away from my hometown. And that's always been there, you know, but it's just when you're not exposed to different things like that, you just, I don't know, you just can't wrap your head around it. So being overseas, it was, it was great because I, I was exposed to so many different things. I could try new things. I could, I said yes more than I ever said in my entire life. And that led me to interest in, in things that I didn't know that I had. Um, and a lot of them were pretty life-changing and hiking and being outdoors um, is something that I believe is now part of my whole self-care uh, lifestyle, I, w- I should say. So the gym rat goes outside. <laughs> <laughs> I complain all the way sometimes, Lord, at least for the first 30 minutes. And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you too, like about your fitness journey. So we, I mentioned it, but what do you think informed the weight that you had on you? Uh, it was just depression and anxiety. Uh, you know, that's how I dealt with my pain was I ate. And then, you know, food is such a social thing that celebrations, you ate. <laughs> Parties, you ate. Um, sadness, you ate. So it was just all around me all the time. And, and then I woke up and I was like, holy smokes, I'm a big girl. And I had to make some changes. So was it like a gradual, it sounds like it was gradual then, a gradual weight gain? Yeah, um, yeah, you know, because um, I started gaining a little bit of weight in like middle school. And then I got, I was a teen mom, so I got, gained some baby weight in high school. And then it just started to pile on. And then uh, um, I was like a size 16, 18 for a pretty long time. What has it been like for you, Francis, to travel as a Black woman? In some cases, it's felt pretty liberating. But it also depends where you where you are. Some countries pay more attention to that than other countries. And when I say pay attention to that, it means more along the lines of curiosity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of colorism in Asia. So you feel that. And, you know, the impact of white supremacy has permeated the entire globe. But I never felt like 
a black woman all the time, which was liberating for me. I just felt like Francis traveling, you know, to these different countries. You know, I never felt like I had to, you know, look over my shoulder because I was a black woman. Whereas, you know, growing up in Boston, that's something I did all the time. So for the first time in my life, I remember I always tell the story of just like riding my scooter past, speeding past the police and no one coming for me or trying to cross the border to me and Ma on a visa run and we get pulled over and they're not looking for me. They're looking for somebody else. So all that was just like mind blowing for me. And I feel like I've been the safest overseas. And the majority of your travels, like, have you done them alone or groups? Like, what's your travel style? Yeah, solo. Majority of my travels have been solo or with my co-hosts. But, yeah, solo. And when you like to travel, like, what is your your way to explore? Usually when I travel, I love architecture and I love views. So I'll always try to find a viewpoint of some sort, whether it's like in in Taiwan, we went to one of the tallest buildings. Um, Also went to, I think it was, what city was that? Damn, can't remember. So I always try to look at views and food. That's always appealing for me. Um, And also trying to find um, the best mountain to climb or uh, getting in with the locals, going off the beaten path. I love being off the beaten path. I don't always like to go where all the tourists are, although certain cities or countries warrant uh, a tourist attraction. Like when I was in Kyoto, um, I had to hit a lot of those ancient temples and everything else. Those are fascinating to me, uh, even though they were tourist ridden but you know I am a tourist still (laughs) even though I don't like to think I'm one Uh, but I like traveling off the beaten path and just getting into really cool situations and would you mind sharing your self-care practices yes my self-care practices it's interesting because I recently did um, a self-care support group I do a monthly BIPOC support group for women BIPOC women and we did a whole thing about self-care and for me, self-care practices is holding boundaries, um, saying no when I really mean no, saying yes when I really mean yes, and meditation, you know, working out, staying fit, eating as many nutritious foods as I can, meditation, and um, reading anything, making sure that, like, you know, everything is always rising to the consciousness, whether it's through different kind of spiritual practices, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's usually what I do on a regular basis. And is there anything that's particularly grounding for you? I would say meditation is very grounding for me. Working out um, is also very grounding for me. Um, and, I, and just walking. Walking is, is underrated, but man, it, it, just taking a couple walks per day or as, you know, a couple times a week can really center yourself because then you just have an opportunity to be a little bit more mindful and be present. Um, so anything that kind of helps me to slow down often helps me to ground myself. And what would you say has helped you to overcome the challenges you faced in your life? Truth. Honestly, and accountability. 
um, understanding that in order, I think we often are looking for others to change when really it's us spending time with ourselves and really taking an honest inventory of ourselves and how we're really impacting the people around us. And I think that truth has helped me overcome a lot of challenges. It definitely wasn't easy and it's hurtful and painful because I believe evolving is a, is a painful process, but it's also a very liberating process. Uh, so just being honest with myself and uh, also having the right kinds of supports and people around you that are willing to be part of that honesty has helped tremendously. You were talking before about food being the way to celebrate. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, Caribbean family, man, that's what we do. Fiji. I think <laughs> from from about all the the guests I've had, like food is a theme. So <laughs> I'm gonna say that's like diaspora. It is, yeah, it's just our thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but that is a question that I like to ask. How do you like to celebrate? It's mm, a great question. I was thinking about that um, when I saw it. How do I like to celebrate? Uh, usually it is with a good, good, well-made meal, um, going to a really nice restaurant and breaking bread with uh, with people that you love. That's a good time for me. And do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't about work? or self-development? Hmm. Hmm. Not about self-development, huh? Let's uh-huh. see. Let's I'm trying see to get here. you off this productive track. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, that's a good question. I tend to be a playful person, but I'm like, yo, what, what do I be doing? Um, back in the day, it was, you know, playing video games with my son, or sometimes I do that once in a while. My son and my sister will play like Call of Duty Zombies or something. Um, damn, Wando, not self development wise? Child. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing that adds. I got it. Um, I like to play a lot of games. Well, no, see? I, like to, I was going to say, I like to play board games. <laughs> uh, I like game night. So I remember in uh, Japan we used to have game night and it'd be all these really weird and different, but very cool games I've never heard of before. Um, so if anyone's having game night or karaoke, uh, I love that stuff. Okay. So let's get specific here. What kind of games do you like to play? Are you a Uno head? Do you be stacking all incorrectly? <laughs> I do. I break all the rules. Uh, Uno. I love Uno and spades. But usually people don't want to play with me because I get a little ruthless. Um, ah. I'm one of those. I'm, I am I am. You know, it is what it is. I like to win. I get competitive. Um, yeah, Uno Spades. Um, it's usually my go-to games. And what's your go-to karaoke song or songs? Oh, man, I usually do like Poison. I do like Sheila E. I think I'm a nasty girl. <laughs> Um, anything that has dancing intertwined, I could dance to, uh, old school songs. Uh, I do a lot of Madonna. <laughs> That's the thing. I grew up in the 80s, so I love the 80s music. <laughs> Speaking of songs, 
I like to ask if there's a song lyric or a poem that speaks to you these days. Mm. I was thinking, I was like, what song, Francis? Um, well, I would say, I mean, I've been listening to a lot more Afro beats lately. And so sometimes I don't know what they're saying unless I Google it. <laughs> um, but I think right now it's just beats and rhythm. I don't have a particular song that I'm really, really feeling right now. Um, like before this morning when I was, because uh, I'm currently writing a book, and the song that I was listening to was, there's a, a meeting in my bed, the Afrobeats. I don't know if you've heard it before. No, I don't think I've heard that. I can't remember who's by. I should know it by now, but um, I don't know for some reason that song just, it's a good song. <laughs> Helps the creative juices. That's what's going on. You said you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's it about? Um, it is about the problem of talk therapy. It's a working title, Problem of Talk Therapy and Alternative Methods to, to Healing. Because what I'm finding is, like I said, mentioned earlier, is that a lot of my clients come to me and they're like, they're kind of at a brick wall and they don't know what to do next. And often there are so many other ways to explore the healing journey that isn't um, our first go-to in the Western world. So just talk a little bit about my philosophies on that and what my personal experiences have been. So have you experienced a lot of different modalities of healing then? I have. Um, a lot of it has been more spiritual. It's like, are you an ayahuasca? Are you an acupuncture? Um, all the different kind of energy work, you know, Akashic records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've done like in Bali, I, I work with five shamans um, for different reasons. In Chiang Mai, I was working with one particular shaman. Uh, so I do a lot of energy work, spiritual cleansing, uh, spiritual work, uh, a lot of body work. Cause I believe that lots of trauma is held in our bodies. So anything that allows me to release some of that stuff, Cause I think we often, you know, we'll do like the physical and mental stuff when it comes to strength training, but we often uh, forget the spiritual side of things. And I, I don't consider myself a religious person at all. Uh, but there is this, they, there's a bigger thing at, at play. And I feel like the more that we get spiritually connected and spiritually grounded, it really helps us to come back to ourselves. Um, Cause I feel like there's a big disconnect there. For folks who don't have access to maybe like indigenous healers like that, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if, if, I guess spiritually speaking, there's not something that qualifies someone more than someone else just because they're from a specific country. But but is there mm-hmm. any reason like, it was it just because you were in those locations that you wanted to work with those kind of healers? Yeah, so... I remember years ago, even before I started traveling, I was like, you know, on my old spiritual journey. And I'd always ask the universe to, you know, send me spiritual teachers and always ask over the years. And that's where it led me to. So if if you don't have access to indigenous folks, then there are people out there who do things a little bit differently. And they could be therapists, trained therapists, trained coaches, but they they have alternative ways and alternative methods 
than what we would consider traditional psychotherapy. And if you've tried that and that hasn't, and I'm not saying it doesn't work, obviously I'm, I'm in the industry, but what I'm saying is sometimes talk therapy isn't enough. It could bring you up to a certain point for certain people, not everyone brings you up to a certain point. And then sometimes you need to take a left or a right somewhere at some point, but there are plenty of people out there who, um, and when I do the support group, I'm always bringing different kinds of people who do different kinds of work to be part of that process to help facilitate so that people are exposed to different modalities and different styles of work uh, so that they can get a different perspective. Because uh, when you think about, because I have friends who are in the industry who want to decolonize therapy because it wasn't really made for the BIPOC community um, and there was a huge disconnect in there. So um, if, especially if you're a BIPOC person and you're finding that something just isn't clicking, it's because of that, you know, therapy was made by a bunch of white men back in the day who didn't take us into consideration. And so you have to really think about that. Do you have like any um, resources that you're comfortable sharing for people who are looking for ways to heal themselves? Yeah, one of my favorite books um, it's by a, um, a German author, German psychotherapist. It's called uh, Body Keeps the Score. It's a heavy book. Um, so I will forewarn folks. It has a lot of trauma in it, but it's by Bessel van der Kolk. And had I had that book in grad school, that would have been great, but it wasn't published until about, I would say, maybe four years ago. Uh, four or five years ago, but I would get started with The Body Keeps the Score. And also another book by David Rico is How to Be an Adult in Relationships. It's a book I recommend all the time, especially for those who, and it's not just about being in relationships with um, romantic relationships, but relationships with yourself, relationship with your family, friends. Um, those two books have been really game, big game changers in my life. Well, thank you. I will link those two places or at least list yeah. them. <laughs> so people can check them out. Speaking of links, though, um, please tell me how can listeners support your work? And I will link your resources in the show notes. Yeah, I hang out. Instagram is my favorite platform. Uh, so definitely get, you know, reach out to me at Francis, my whole name, Francis Lease. And also defineresistance.com is the website that I write a lot of content on. And feel free to sign up for my newsletter. Um, I get a little bit more intimate and send other uh, stuff to my the folks at my community. So, yeah. And you also offer a monthly support group through the Black Girl Ventures. Yep, Black Girl Ventures. Um, I They sponsor the monthly BIPOC support group. That's going on at least until December and then we're going to kind of like revamp it for 2021 but it's a pretty powerful space and I really recommend um, specifically the BIPOC community who are looking for spaces specifically for us to process and talk freely uh, I recommend you to come join us and you also do small group coaching which they can find more information on defying resistance right exactly yes small group coaching Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Francis. I really appreciate your perspective and your time, your thera coachness. 
Well, thank you, Wada. You asked some really great questions. Well, you know, I try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate you um, bringing me on the show and appreciate all the the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank me. Thank you. Thanking me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank everybody. Thank (laughs) Thank everybody. Um, You have yourself a gorgeous day. You too, Wanda. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you. See you on the internet street. And the internet street. (laughs) All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hmm. 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 Hmm.